right? If somebody's newly diagnosed and you give them 30 pages of information, there's no way they can process that, right? right? It's just impossible. So how do you help people navigate to what's most important for them to understand and think about it in chunks? But then also sometimes, so, you know, the amount of information is important, but also things like white space or formatting. How do you help somebody understand kind of the most important levels of information? Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest in the building today. We have Director of ESG and Strategy and Engagement for, is it Merck, right? I've seen that yes, correctly. Merck. That is correct. We have Lori Meyer, Myers on the podcast today. Uh, Lori, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Your podcasts are awesome. Yes, thank you so much. So, you know, before we get into the episode, uh, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, what gets you up in the morning? Sure. Um, so I, well, before Merck, I actually, uh, my family uh, worked in the field of developmental disabilities. My family took care of about 300 people with significant developmental disabilities in about 75 small group homes. So that was um, sort of how I grew up. And then I focused my education on healthcare management and joined Merck 23 years ago. Um, For the last uh, decade or so, I've been leading our company's global health literacy efforts and also uh, focused on health equity. What gets me up in the morning is um, I'm a pretty simple person. Number one, my family, right? My uh, daughters are 18 and 22. And so going to see their, you know, college softball games and, and things like that. Secondly, my job, I feel very honored to do the work, uh, to have the um, the opportunity to do the work I do, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about. And then third, also um, allyship. I'm very passionate about active allyship and really try to work on that every day. Right. Thank you and, for asking. Yeah, no problem. And I know you kind of talked about your allyship before we we started, but I just think it's so cool that that you do that and you're a part of that. So can, before we get into you know the health literary literary stuff, um, can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like in your role, that allyship? Sure. So allyship is um, so okay. If you, if you think about health literacy, you're really talking about how do you empower people through information. Right. And when you you think about people at greatest risk of low health literacy. Um, It includes age 65 plus, right? People with lower levels of education or income. Um, Racial and ethnic uh, diversity is a risk factor for low health literacy. And so by nature, it has intersected, um, health literacy has intersected issues related to health equity. And so I think, you know, 
for a decade now, um, I've had the, the honor of being part of such things like diversity and clinical trials, working groups and different things. And it really opened my eyes to the impact of health disparities on, on health and healthcare. Um, I also just personally, um, in my work in developmental disabilities, had the honor of working alongside people from many people from Africa, for instance, um, many people who self-identified as LGBTQ at the time that wasn't LGBTQA plus at that mm-hmm. time. Um, and so, you know, just became very passionate about diversity in that early work. So at Merck, um, I have been a member of a number of what we call employee business resource groups, which welcome allies. So for instance, um, Alianza focused on uh, uniting people of Hispanic descent or the Mark Rainbow Alliance. Um, but I'm particularly have been very involved in our League of Employees of African Descent for about, probably I've been a member for about seven or eight years. Uh, but for the last two years, I've been on our allyship leadership team. So um, LEAD, as we call it, League of Employees of African Descent, has a formal ally leadership team. And so um, I have um, the honor of co-leading one of our, our main two projects is what's called BEAM. It's Black Employees Allyship Mutual Mentoring Program. And so I co-lead our BEAM work. Um, and then honestly, just try to attend a number of events just to improve um, my own cultural understanding so that I can uh, be an active ally in as many situations as possible that are appropriate, of course. Yeah, that that's that's just awesome. I feel like a lot of and there could be a lot of places that have those, but I think it's I feel like it's something that a lot of organizations should really look into investing in. I think it's just it's just a great time to do that. I feel very fortunate. Um, you know, it's very interesting because not everybody knows and you know that as allies you can join groups even if you're not necessarily of that specific background. So I, I, you know, don't quote me on this, but I want to say um, our Mark Women's Network, about 10% of employees are men, for instance. Um, and, you know, it might even be higher than that. Who knows? But it's a significant number. And um, I think it's it's really important that allies um, are willing to help raise the importance of these issues across the company, um, again, in the right way. But Sometimes these are really often, these are very uncomfortable conversations by their nature. And so having people um, join the conversation to support one another, I just think is incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for Thank you for that. So, you know, talking more about, you know, the, the health literacy, why, you know, why should more, you know, pharmaceutical companies be prioritizing, you know, making medicines easily understandable for, you know, for all patients? Sure. And, you know, the answer is actually relatively simple, which is as, you know, biopharmaceutical companies, our focus is on innovation, right? It's on inventing medicines that, um, you know, address really important, important diseases. But at the end of the day, if people don't understand the, you know, the, the illness they have, if they don't understand how to manage and treat it, uh, then they don't understand also potentially how their medicine or, or you know, vaccine may help. Um, and if they don't understand, you know, how the medicine might help them, how potentially um, potential side effects or what to do, then the value of that innovation is lost. 
right? So all the good we do in inventing medicines, if people don't take them because, um, you know, when, again, when a doctor prescribes them, um, but if, if they don't take them as prescribed because of a lack of understanding of various elements, then the value of that invention is lost, right? And, and we care about patients. We care about people. Um, so it's just a very natural fit. Right, right. It's just, it's, it almost has to start there at that, at the company to make sure that the people that you're trying to serve and make sure they're healthier, they understand what they're getting themselves into. You, you know what I mean? And not, cause I feel like it could, it could go wrong where they may be afraid to take something cause they just don't know or have a, a good understanding of it and may not take anything. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that, that conversation is it, so interesting. Sometimes people ask me, you know, what happens if my doctor is not, you know, I don't kind of understand what I'm saying or they're rushing me. I feel like kind of sometimes the answer is as simple as find a new doctor because mm-hmm. you deserve respect. You deserve time to have your questions answered and you deserve, you know, a, a doctor to explain that to you. And again, many, many physicians are wonderful at this, but if occasionally you run into one that isn't, you know, um, you know, then, then, people should expect that from their healthcare. With, with your experience working with health literacy, uh, what kind of impact, you know, would you say low, low health literacy has on uh, health outcomes? Sure. You know, just back up one step here, which is if you think about health literacy, it impacts your ability to access healthcare services, to use those services appropriately, um, to really adopt kind of healthy behaviors, right? Like getting your screenings, um, right. to manage your, your conditions, to navigate your care, or really to act on health information. So if health literacy, low health literacy can impact those things, then at the end of the day, that leads to worse health, right? And, right. and if, if I might, I might tell a quick story here, which is, absolutely. you know, I have my um, MBA in healthcare management. I am like a, you are, in you know the 12% of Americans who who you know have proficient health literacy. Yet my daughter, when she was little, had surgery to remove a birthmark on her leg. And they told me to limit her activity. Now, you know, fast forward, she's a college athlete. To me, you know, she was very active as a child too. Limit activity meant don't go to your travel sports practice. It didn't mean sit on the sofa, put her leg up, let her watch TV for a few days. And so I ended up walking her around a small children's museum the next, the next day and her legs started to bleed. She needed another surgery in short, right? Because I did the wrong things. You had somebody with proficient health literacy, very simple language, limit activity, yet the communication was unclear. Right. And so every single one of us has a story like that, has probably a dozen or even a hundred stories like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so now if you think about you know, being diagnosed with, you know, diagnosed with a a serious illness. That's very emotionally exhausting, right? It's overwhelming. So your health literacy kind of goes out the window a little bit, right? I don't care what your health literacy is on paper. If you're scared, it's hard to listen. It's hard to remember. It's hard to understand. And so if you think about how hard health literacy, being health literate is for people with proficient health literacy, now imagine if English is your second language, right? If you are not, don't know how to navigate the healthcare system, it's even harder, right? So it's not surprising that low health literacy 
leads to worse health outcomes. Right. And especially when you're, so you're going to the hospital and they're telling you all these things and you're, you're hardly listening because you're so afraid of what you were just told, (laughs) you know? Um, No, I can, I can see that for sure. Or if Uh, you have a sick kid, right. On a much more basic level, you have a sick kid who was up all night and you're at the doctor and the doctor's talking to you, you know, you're really tired. You have a kid who's crying. It's hard, right? I mean, health is hard. And now when you throw other factors onto it, you know, and that's why to, co- to come back to, you know, why should companies care, you know, as a pharmaceutical company, it, it's important that we make sure that people have information they understand about whether it's their disease, clinical trials, their medicines or other things, you know, it's something we strive for. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Right. Right. But, but you work really hard to improve every single day. Yeah. And, and not even on, you know, I even have my own story as just as, as a health coach, having a mother in my office from um, an Asian country, I want to say they were Karini. And I, I have her child there and I'm trying to let her know that, you know, her child is, you know, these are, this is where your child should be with their weight. This is where, you know, this child is at. And long story short, I won't, I won't go into too much detail, but what I found out after the session was the way I was explaining, it made it seem like I was telling her that I wanted her child to be sick because in her mind, her child is eating. So her child is healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. when she was looking at me and she, and like, she looked super concerned and stressed. And I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying to help, you know, you, you could be thinking yeah. you're doing the right thing and it's just not coming off that way to somebody else. Yeah. And, you know, we've all been there. We've all done it. You know, it's, sometimes it's really simple things. Ever since my my girls were probably 12, something like that, whenever they're in a doctor's office, I've always made them fill out their own health history, their own forms. And believe me, they hated it when they were 12, <laughs> but now they're better at it, right? Now that they're young adults, um, you know, and, and so there's little simple, you know, things like that to try to foster it in your children, right? Which is incredibly right. important too. Absolutely. So you, you said in, in the article from Farmer Voice, and I'll, I'll read this here, uh, we need to update the definition to recognize the two-sided nature of health literacy. Um, in your opinion, what are the two sides to health literacy? Sure. And well, the good news is actually since that article, um, the government through Healthy People 2030 did actually update the definition oh, okay. of health literacy to talk about both personal and organizational health literacy. So the um, definition used for a long time um, was really about a person's ability to understand and use health information to make an informed health decision. The new definition focuses on the responsibility of organizations um, like pharmaceutical companies, but, but others to really make sure that they are clear and are understandable in how they communicate. Again, is everybody perfect? Are we perfect? No, but, but that is kind of your North Star that we're all working mm-hmm. towards. Um, and certainly we're much better than we were 10 years ago when this journey began. Right. Right. Um, so that, that I think is, you know, and, and there's simple techniques, for instance, there's a technique called teach back. So teach back is very simple. It, and again, it kind of takes the burden of communication from the one who's receiving it to the one who's doing it. So instead of saying, do you have any questions saying, what questions do you have? what are you going to go home and tell your partner? You know, how are you going to take this medicine? 
And asking a person to re to explain it in their own words really helps you make sure that you've communicated clearly. And it's a, a very simple way to um, honestly address some cultural cultural barriers potentially that you know if, if you may have tremendous respect for a physician, for instance, that that kind of question will help to overcome any hesitation you might have in answering question, right? So there, you know, health literacy is really relatively straightforward, um, you know, to think about how do you, uh, how do you own health literacy? And again, health literacy, when health literacy is not necessarily the most clear word because people immediately go to literacy, they go to reading level. Right. And it's not just about having, you know, sixth grade reading level materials that that's a great thing, but it's also about, you know, for, first of all, how much information can a person understand at once? Right. If somebody's newly diagnosed and you give them 30 pages of information, there's no way they can process that. Right. right. It's just impossible. So how do you help people navigate to what's most important for them to understand and think about it in chunks? But then also sometimes. So, you know, the amount of information is important, but also things like white space or formatting. How do you help somebody understand kind of the most important levels of information are such simple techniques that even, you know, as an industry. There's some language we simply can't change, right? That right. the FDA has, has, we've agreed with the FDA, we have to say things a certain way. Even when you have language you can't change, there are other elements of health literacy that you can bring in, right? right. So, so it's not necessarily, way, yeah, oh, so it's not necessarily, say, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, for people who are interested in learning more about um, health literacy, the CDC, if you just Google CDC health literacy, it's an amazing website with a bunch of free online trainings. So I, I, I apologize for interrupting you for it. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so it's not necessarily all of, you know, what specifically the person is reading if, and if they can understand that, but it sounds like it could just be kind of like the, the user experience or like the, you know, the, the user interface or whatever of what they're reading and how it looks so they can better understand the information. Yeah. And, you know, this is not an area where I would say pharma has been leading, but another, you know, critical piece of health information is, for instance, videos. We know that often people with low health literacy prefer to learn through the use of videos. Um, and, you know, I, I think about my, unfortunately, my father um, passed away of cancer almost eight years ago. And the person who helped us take care of him came in every day. Um, actually had pretty low literacy. Um, when my dad came home from rehab, he was in sort of a, a Hoyer lift. We, my mom and I could not, and she's a nurse, could not figure out how to get him on in the bed. And she went on YouTube and Googled it. And within mm. five minutes, got him in. And, you know, it was just for her videos were her way that she learned. And again, right. I think it's another really important information. And Another important source of information, again, um, having videos which are simple, are clear, ideally cultural sensitive, and other things as well. Right, right. That that's awesome. YouTube, YouTube can come in handy a lot. A lot. So that's that is awesome. You know, what are some what are some questions you feel like a patient should be asking their their provider to understand their you know their medications you know that they're taking? And what are some of the questions that they should be asking? So I'm going to answer this one as, as a, you know, Laurie, who was a caretaker to her dad rather than as a Merck employee, because I, I'm sure if I were a physician or a lawyer, I'd give you right. a different answer. So I'll just give you my, my opinion on this one. You know, 
first of all, I would say, you know, what is it that I have? And there's a classic um, AMA health literacy video that there's this, um, th- this gentleman and they say, you know, what do you have? And he says, hypertension. And they say, well, why does the doctor give you medicine? He said, I guess they think I'm hyper. Right. right. And so, you know, the very first thing is just making really clear on what is it you've been diagnosed with. And, you know, medicine is often only part of the treatment. Right. So what else do I need to do? Right. And, and sometimes there's jargon even used there. So eat a healthy diet. Well, what does that actually mean? What does that mean? Right. Right. For my husband, that means eat three slices of pepperoni pizza, not four. Right. I mean, I don't think that's really what that, that's how he interprets it when the doctor tells him to lose a little right. weight. Right. Um, but anyway, I'm teasing my husband, but anyway, um, but you get the idea, right? Avoiding yeah. So first of all, understanding how is medicine part of how you treat, you know, a- any disease and, and also kind of what else do you need to do to stay healthy? Right. Is there a way to, you know, whatever. And then also just understanding, you know, what is the medicine for? How do you take it? That can be as simple as, you know, do I take it? with um food or without food right that's a really big deal that makes things harder to to take um why did you prescribe it you know what are some of the possible side effects or what are the possible side effects and what happens if i have one and you know i i have had you know again take one medicine take one pill twice a day we had dr ruth parker um who's the mra come and speak to us and she said, 40% of people don't understand that. And I thought, that sounds a little high. Through my travels around the world, um, when somebody says, what do you do? I say, I work to make information about medicine and disease easier to understand. I've had so many people volunteer. Well, my doctor told me to take one tablet twice a day. So I just take them both in the morning to make sure that I take them, you know, and things like right. that. And so really right. just making sure that you understand and that whatever you're being asked to do is also reasonable within your, your lifestyle, right? So if somebody's saying take one in the morning and, and one at night, um, you know, my father-in-law doesn't, doesn't usually, um, you know, get out of bed much till noon, right? I, right. He has a lot of pain, so he's up late at night. And so, you know, that wouldn't work if you had to take it at 8 a.m., right? And so I think just thinking about it and being true to your own life and making sure you work with that. And, and it's called shared decision-making, right? Making sure you're really a participant in, in the health decisions that are made for you. Right. I think just, just to kind of piggyback off that. Um, and we were kind of talking about, about this before we start recording, but I feel like social determinants really plays a role with how you take care of your, your, you know, your prescriptions or your health literacy as well, because yeah you know, what are you going through? Maybe you don't have transportation to go get your, you know, your medications. I know there are a lot of programs that will mail prescriptions out there, which are great. I know there's some things out there, but do you, are you eligible for that? And there are so many determinants that can get in the way of someone staying on track with their prescriptions um, that I, I don't think a lot people think, think of, think that that could be an issue. Absolutely. You know, and and just I assume most of your listeners are familiar with this, but really social determinants of health are kind of the conditions and the places where you live, learn, work and play. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, they really impact your health risks, your outcomes. Right. You know, they say that 80 percent of your health, that's just a I've heard is 80 percent of your health is driven by social determinants of health. So what can we do um, 
you know, what, what can we do to, you know, to address that? And I would say that, you know, in my experience, pharma companies are at the relative beginning of trying to understand that. So for instance, you know, thinking about uh, diversity in clinical trials, if we know, first of all, do you have clinical trials where people um, live, right, who right. are most impacted? But then secondly, you know, is it transportation to get to the clinical trial site? Or honestly, it might be something as simple as, do you have um, babysitting available, right? Because I have kids I need to bring or, or things like that, that, um, you know, are very practical things that we need to recognize the totality of a person's experience when you, um, when you're thinking about their health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Laurie, thank you so much for being on with me today. I really appreciated everything you, you, uh, gave me. Um, if anybody listening wanted to get a hold of you, learn more about what you're doing, your role at, at Merck or, uh, connect with you online, where can they reach you? Sure. Well, so they can definitely connect to me on LinkedIn. I would love that. And it's, too difficult to spell names. One I was, you know, born with, the other I married into. So it's uh, Laurie L A U R I E Myers M Y E R S, and it's at Mark. You'll find me on LinkedIn, um, and then on Twitter it's at Laurie Myers L A U R I E M Y E R S H L. So at Laurie Myers H L. Health literacy. So. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, HL, okay, help. there we go. Uh, Laurie, yeah. again, thank you so much for being on with me today. I really appreciated it. Um, and everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll holler at you next time.